Welcome to Indefensive Humanity. This is Osteris Oz Miller. Today I'm joined by Sam Choi. Sam Choi, please introduce yourself. Hey, this is Sam. Um, yeah, went back for a while with Osteris. Now just joining this recording. My volume's a little low, so I can barely hear you right now. Okay. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Okay, well... This is one of those round-robin recording sessions, so we didn't have an original idea. Um, So I'm going to let Sam pick our idea. Sam, go. Top of your head. For sure. So I always like to wing it. One thing I've been doing a lot recently is meditation and yoga. So I want to speak about meditation and yoga and kind of what that means in the American perspective and our ideas about that. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Get us started. Cool. Here, give me one sec. I'm going to plug in your phones here. Okay. Can you still hear me okay? Yes. Okay, I can hear you a lot better. Perfect. Okay. So tell us about your specific school of yoga, um, how the practice is done, uh, what are some of the tenets of your meditation styles and uh, the leader? Yeah, for sure. So the one I've been diving into is called Isha Yoga. So it's a massive nonprofit organization, non-religious organization as well in the India and the U.S. The main guy, his name is called Sadhguru. So he's pretty famous and he has these practices that he does. It sounds crazy. It's never really something I would myself getting into it all but mm-hmm. i've had a family member do it for a long time so it was kind of always around but i thought it was pretty ridiculous so i've just been jumping into that and i've really been enjoying it so uh, do you want to know about like specific practices or what are you thinking yes yeah yeah just give us as much information as you can then we can also dive into like history of yoga and meditation how this differs from other forms Yeah, for sure. So one of the things they're doing, some of the practices they don't share too much or they don't want us to share because like you got to go in there and experience yourself. But some involves like yoga postures, some involves different types of breathing exercises and meditation. But the main aspects of it are, I'd say a lot of people in America think yoga is getting into some Lululemon gear maybe going once a week Mm -hmm. as an exercise form or something to stay fit or flexible or something of that nature. But I don't think it's, in my view, it's nothing like that. It's aligning yourself with the universe. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. And, and that the way that you think about it, aligning yourself with the universe is quite similar to most of the Brahmic um, yoga practices that we study in like philosophy or, in religious studies courses uh, during undergrad, which is definitely not the full understanding of yoga, because as you know, practicing yoga is a way to more deeply understand it. Um, but um, that being said, we can, it's, I think of it as donning Lululemon gear, as you say, going once a week is sort of like visiting church. Like you're not necessarily a member of the church, but you go to the church maybe once every two weeks or something. So you know some, but you don't fully embrace the whole spirit of the community, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. I completely understand what you're saying. I think it's similar. I just think our view of a lot of things in America is based in fitness, like it'll make you look good. But I think this is Mm -hmm. something that originated from something way back in time and Everything is like very science-based now. Um, like if you have to prove it and stuff. But I mean, when you look at like the universe, how complex it is, I think it's very, you can really just experience it. Like when you really look at what humans know, like we don't know anything. Like we know how to use certain things, 
but um a lot of things that kind of repeat that Sadhguru says but like we don't even know an entirety like what is an atom like we know its components we know how to break it we can like merge it together blow them up but we don't know like what it actually is and we don't know like 99% of it is like empty we don't understand what it mm-hmm. is so and then us thinking that we know everything about the universe is kind of strange absolutely absolutely so let's talk about Sadhguru himself if you know a little bit about his history um, just give us a brief rundown of who he is as a person, what he does. I see that he likes to ride motorcycles. I noticed that about him. Yeah, for but. sure. So I'm a big fanboy, obviously. But when I started out, you'll notice in Isha that the way they relate to Sadhguru is very different than in Western cultures. Like they have his picture up everywhere. That that mm-hmm. first freaked me out. I'm like, why are you worshiping this old dude? Like it seems like a cult. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's just a guy. But then as you get into it, you realize like, wow, this dude's really opening up possibilities for me. It's a different type of culture, I think. I think they're trying mm-hmm. to broaden their target market. But uh, I mean, now it, I, don't, I don't even pay attention to it. So a little about his history. He, he didn't grow up like a spiritual guy at all. So he was a pure businessman. He had some crazy stories that he told us back in the day. So he mainly was doing business, very successful. And then this mm-hmm. one day... Apparently, he even he says this is all stuff that's hard to believe for him. He doesn't expect us to believe it, uh, but if you, it's just there, and he says it. So he went up this hill called Chamundi Hill in India and had this experience where he just was sitting there with his eyes open for four hours plus. Thought it was maybe twenty, thirty minutes, and um, mm-hmm. kind of just experiencing everything as one because. The nature of everything, I believe, is very – there's not really you and me. It's – there's just everything. Like the whole essence of life is just switched on all the time within everything. So I haven't experienced that experientially. But through what Sadhguru says, that's how I think of things. It makes sense to me more than anything else. Like uh, I don't know how like religious everyone is, but like a god and stuff, I don't really see him as like a, a guy in the sky. That doesn't really make sense to me. So mm-hmm. it's very – Interesting. So that's a little bit of his background. And then he had that experience, became, maybe became enlightened, maybe not. Doesn't tell us to think that he is, but basically start a project um, through just a lot about him changed. He said changed kind of into uh, the thing that he was supposed to do. So he created this thing called the Gianalinga. So it's a massive center in India. And it's basically just mm-hmm. a massive meditative form like he makes these forms and the more i dive into this the more it sounds absolutely ridiculous like if someone were to tell me this two years ago i'd tell them to you know shut up that's absolutely ridiculous but i've experienced some things with his meditations that now i just i just say that i don't know because i don't know so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and then created the isha foundation massive non-profit non-religious organization started in india one of the like most visited india centers or indian like yoga centers, I think just yoga centers in the world. So they have tons of stuff. They have the Janalinga, other consecrated places. They have a massive, I think they have the largest, like, uh, it's not stone, like metal bust in the world of Adi Yogi. Like it's this giant tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. And then they have a center in the U.S. that I love going to in McMinnville, uh, Tennessee. So that's right near Chattanooga. Okay, okay. Excellent. Excellent. So just so the audience knows, I'm sure most of the people who listen to the podcast know yoga, but if not, I'll just do my classic in defense of humanity, pointless uh, word explanations that people hate so much. (laughs) So basically yoga, it comes from the Sanskrit word yuj, which literally just means to, uh, to unite or to bring together. And then Um, Because I hear people often say that yoga, etymologists say yoga and yoke come from the same um, Indo-European root, like a yoke on an ox to hold it down to to subjugate. And basically, yuj does mean this, but yoga, the practice of grounding oneself is not necessarily yoking oneself, but uniting oneself with the 
Atman with the, the Brahmic forces. So you're grounding yourself to the universe, which is the ground all around us. And that connects us with this higher power. You say not a God in the sky. That's that would be consistent with the yogic practices, not a God in the sky. So just literally uniting us with this, this practice because it's orthopraxic as well as having doctrine, depending on your, who your Ishrava is, who your God is, you could have different doctrines, different Vedas, but the yoga is the one thing that unites most people through the practice that allows us to calm, that allows us to, to maintain ourselves through this union, through this grounding force. Uh, I think that's the best way to um, explain it in the widest sense, just so people aren't thinking that uh, I can, that I'm ripping on or that we're ripping on the guys who go to Lulu, wear Lululemon and go to the yoga studio on Thursdays after work because they're, they're still grounding. So they're doing some of the, orthopraxy they understand that the breathing the exercise helps them strengthen their body and their mind and their spirit but it may not be necessarily going to the full extent of yoga as if they were a guru per se would you agree with that i'm definitely not saying lululemon people or anything are bad or anything i just like to differentiate between um, the Mm -hmm. two types i feel like in america the the kind of lululemon that we've kind of identified get the like that's yoga but i just like to say that there's another track for me mm-hmm. it's not good or bad it's just really defining what it is because i think they're very different aspects or things absolutely absolutely excellent well now that we've explained yoga we've talked a little bit about the isha foundation talked about Sadhguru. um we can go back to the free-for-all and uh, take another topic sam yeah, for sure. So I don't know how many podcasts you've done recently, but mm-hmm. I'd love to hear kind of your opinions and just speak on coronavirus and what you think okay. is what it's going to have on the effect it's going to have on the world after what it's having now, just in general. Yeah, surprisingly, we have talked very little about the coronavirus on the podcast. So I'm glad you asked it. Okay, perfect. Uh, and I'll, uh, it's a little, having a little static of mine, I just want to make sure it's not recording too badly uh no no i can't hear it okay perfect okay so coronavirus uh sars-cov-2 the current coronavirus of a family of coronaviruses has hit us quite hard still have no confirmation that people have been infected cannot be reinfected uh, which is obviously making it more difficult to reopen the the world because you don't want to risk um asymptomatic people um who have recovered getting reinfected and then having enough immunity to not get sick again so we won't know that they have it and then infecting larger numbers of the population so it basically at this point we don't know if we can maintain a herd immunity for real to me it's wild Yeah. There's just no yeah. real solution. It's unprecedented. I was I was talking to someone. I was driving someone to their optometrist, no, ophthalmologist appointment. And they were telling me it's basically like the flu, just a little bit worse. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. It's, it's not like the flu a little bit worse. And I was like, if it's like the flu and that it's seasonal, we have a lot more problems than, uh, than we currently do. We're going to have a tough time. For real. I just, I th- yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to, we're definitely going to have to reify what we're doing. We're going to have to redesign um, the way in which we communicate like we are right now, the way in which we conduct business. Um, I know a lot of bodybuilding gyms were fine with this because there's no staff really at many large bodybuilding gyms. You scan your card to get in. And then no one talks to you because people who go to the gym just to work out don't like customer service. They're there to do one thing and to leave. So some of these gyms have actually had a, a, um, an increase in patrons who leave like um, Planet Fitness or Anytime Fitness. Those that rely heavily on customer service and amenities 
that can't be used during a time like this. Like you can't use a tanning bed um, whenever there's a viral outbreak because yeah, for sure. you can't guarantee that you've cleaned it well enough after every single customer that you haven't infected the entire uh, gym. That's so true. Uh, just every aspect of business that I think about and see is going to be transformed. Like I'm sure food delivery is doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Those type of like gig economy, such as Uber, all those, yes. I know some of them aren't even profitable right now, but I feel it's a big boost and they're just going to be going, going, not exactly the Ubers and Lyfts of the world, but the DoorDash, the mm-hmm. Grubhub, mm-hmm. the Postmates, all of them. I mean, I just think it's changing. I'm, I think Absolutely. supply chains will completely change too as well. Um, just mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. what's happening here. Um, I think small business yeah. can take a massive hit. It's just going to be interesting to see what all goes down and, if this is the new norm, like I think there's so much opportunity in digital media and creation right now. Yes. So I feel that if you're not speaking to your audience directly through almost like that face-to-face influencer-ish type style, you're really missing out as I feel generations younger than us. I know we're kind of on that cusp of Gen Z slash millennial, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if we, those younger ones, like they're so comfortable on TikTok, just always being on camera. Yes. I think if yes. we're not on that, we're going to be kind of left behind here is kind of automation keeps Absolutely. keeps running. So, But one thing, um, please give your input on this once I say it, but I've noticed, I've um, discussed it with several people, um, millennials, Gen Z, older Gen Zs and younger Gen Zs and baby boomers as well. But our specific cusp, we are good with technology. Like we can fix it and we can use it just like uh, because we still had like the computer science classes in high school. Like we had course tracks like STEM. So we built computers in high school, intermediate, middle school, and we learned what RAM was, what hard drives are. But I feel younger Gen Z's, a large majority of them know how to perfectly use technology, but aren't necessarily a lot of them skilled at coding or building the systems that they're using. Because like a kid could blow me out of the water using TikTok, but I wonder if the same young person is as skilled with backend um, directories in like Facebook or even uh, LinkedIn. That's that's my question. Yeah, for sure. So I work in kind of tech, so I'm in IT recruiting. So I can see that, but I just think it just changes so much technology is rapidly changing. So I really mm-hmm. have no idea. I don't know Absolutely. the answer to your question at all, but I mean, I know a lot of, not a lot of people are technical, so it's great. You have those skills, but I don't know if there's a real difference mm-hmm. between um, us or them or how yeah, technical yeah. they are. I just have, I just don't know. Absolutely. I also feel I have a confirmation bias because I do hang out with people who are both into like religious studies and at the same time, into technology so i feel that because most of the people i've encountered in my life can code can know things about it that everyone does just automatically and i'm beginning to realize that this is a small minority and it's not the norm so in fact it's probably the same exact ratios of gen z as millennials who can do all the technical things and i'm just enjoying my confirmation bias by only looking at a specific subgroup of gen z who can't yeah who knows it's i mean i feel like other countries like india i feel like that's mm-hmm. a completely different ballgame like i feel like everyone absolutely is learning how to code there uh, so yeah yeah because there are so many people and engineering doesn't do anything i don't know if i've ever told you this but a lot of my friends from oceania so like indonesia malaysia um, New Zealand, Australia have degrees in pharmacology, PhDs in, in research and engineering, and they can't get jobs. It's like everyone gets a degree in engineering because in the 80s, that was a big thing. We need engineers. We need engineers. So everyone tells their children, get degrees in engineering. But now there's a surplus of engineers, of researchers. And in America, we have basically the opposite problem where we're desperately needing STEM people, but we're not accepting some of these brilliant engineers from overseas or from different age groups because they're not CEF certified. So they can know everything that we know. But now I feel, like you said, 
um, in India and other places, people are learn, learning how to do um, digital engineering fields. So coding, programming. Um, so now they don't even have to come here. Maybe not even require a visa because they're freelance and they can accomplish the work while being abroad. So it opens up doorways now that we've had this unfortunate um, pandemic because now we're moving farther into the digital age at a far faster pace than we were. So it opens up these opportunities for people who couldn't come here for the the mainstream positions. Yeah, for real. Like I deal with different types of visa types on a daily basis, like H-1B, um, different types mm-hmm. of EAD. I don't, definitely not an expert. It's all over the place and you really have to be focused on them to understand them completely because there's, mm-hmm. there's a variety of different types, stages. But um, I think it's definitely rough times right now for just based on the kind of regulations and what's happening. I think coronavirus is throwing yeah. a wrench in that too. So it's just interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I don't, oh, this is perfect that you're a recruiter as well, IT recruiter. Because I'm not sure, but in my experience, whenever I've coded, um, done web design, people don't really care that I have a degree in it because I don't. People care about my certifications and my experience because having a degree in computer science doesn't necessarily mean that you can do backend coding or Python because you could have learned your computer science in 1994, in which case very few of the current programming languages are consistent with um, like old C um, coding or, you know, MIT. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they like to see, I wouldn't even say computer science degree. I mean, yes, it's a thing. It helps. It definitely helps. A master's degree can help. But I mean, if it depends what school. Like if it's from a very established organization like Georgia Tech, degree in software engineering, like that, that means something. So that'll definitely help mm-hmm. you out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you have equivalent work experience, I'd say once you're at, so the big markup for what I've seen is once you're at three to four, that's when you can really start to make a lot of money in the software. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, you're still making very good money, but it's not that like, wow, I'm in, you know, like, okay, so. Okay, okay. That's very interesting. It's very interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here to tell us about this because some of our listeners may want to pursue computer science um, as their career. Yeah, field. for sure. So, I don't know, can we kind of go... Um, diverge into other stuff but i mean in the atlanta market just in my small office what we see a lot of right now i don't know what technologies are in or what's the most cutting edge but we see a lot of java uh, for the back end we see mm-hmm. a lot of csharp.net and then on the front end Absolutely. everyone's obsessed with angular and react so that's kind of the main skills mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. i've seen are mm-hmm. in right now yeah yeah i remember i was working at a um a large company, I'd prefer not to, to say which company, but even some of their techs, like people without degrees, had to know how to use React um, just to like import photos into the system because it was so heavily coded with the Python from the team that was stationed in Atlanta. Um, coming up to Winder, they'd do routine trips there and to Tempe, Arizona, because the the programming had not changed since the um, parent company in 2011. So once it reached over a certain amount of process units, the, the system basically crashed. So they had to bring us in to re to like redux it, to completely uh, restart from the bottom because the numbering system could only go up to like 100,000. I suppose the parent company never thought the subsidiary would produce over 100,000 units. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and now now it's up to like 500,000. And they've pushed it now to, I think, 10 million. But the way I see it, with us being unable to contact, and since it's an online business, I feel that they should have put it far over 10 million as well. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. I don't understand the ins and outs of it. I have like a 30,000-foot view of everything in IT. But it, why does it have to be like a limit? so low i mean i feel like you're gonna fly through that really fast yeah i think the the guys on this team a lot of them are just like engineers and whatnot who learned how to code like like we all do from the internet and then got these jobs at 
high paying jobs like seventy to one hundred fifty thousand dollars, depending on their position. So they're um, they're future proofing their position, so to speak. So they're always fixing, nitpicking little things on the website and the back end, so that they so that they're never like out of work. Yeah, because like whenever I was there with them, I noticed I'd finish my work in like three hours if I would if I would be there with them for eight hours and I'd look around and they're all like squinting at the screen and typing and then pausing for like five minutes at a time. And I was like, oh, I should probably be doing that because if I work too fast, they're going to start asking everyone else why they're taking so long. And then I'm messing up the whole rotation. They're going slowly on purpose. Really? So all of them were sandbagging. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Because they all accomplish the work, but they're like, they don't understand. If they wanted us, we could literally fix everything in a week, but then we would have no jobs. And then they would like, then they'd be like, oh, so we don't have an IT staff. <laughs> that's really interesting. I bet that's happening all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I don't know. You've probably met a lot of people who now have office jobs because I remember whenever I was sitting in the office, I would always finish my work early. And I feel this is a regular thing. Like whenever you're working in a warehouse, because I don't know if you've ever worked in one, but a lot of people who are in college during like the breaks work in places like fast food or warehouses or uh, stores where you always have something to do because there's manual labor. So you're always moving. So there'll be instances of like slack time where you can move around and yeah. do nothing, but there's always something that physically needs to be moved. But whenever you're doing paperwork or internet work, you can focus, hone in and do it in like two, three hours. But then you're still, if you're salaried, they want you to be there for eight hours, even though you're going to get paid. The yeah, same. for sure. I mean, I can say that just about my desk yeah. job and I'm not doing software development, but uh, some of the top recruiters, mm-hmm. I feel like they accomplish what they need to accomplish. And then at a certain point, there's always something you could do, but it's like, do you really want to? Yeah. 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 It's like you can start on tomorrow's work, but then uh, you're not going to have anything to do on Thursday, Friday. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that was good. I'm glad we we covered some IT stuff, Um, what it's like to be an IT recruiter. Yeah, for sure. It's an interesting gig. You definitely need to be in a good market for it. So Atlanta's a great market for it. And then you need to have good people around you because it can get savage out there if it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, um, what else? What's another topic that you like? Let's see. So what have we done so far? We've done some Isha, some yoga, done- coronavirus. Yeah. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really down for whatever, man. Talk about land. Have you thought about getting land or looking at Yeah, it sounds great. Is it in like purchasing it or? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just yeah. in general. So I don't really know what kind of context you had in mind, but I definitely, at some point in my life, I want to, I know this relates back to yoga, but they have some land out in McMinnville. So I definitely want to get a large area there as kind of a base mm-hmm. of operations for this yoga slash um, online presence I want to have. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, because I remember uh, Sam Pham, which is one of our yeah. friends from school, um, long time ago, we started using a website called Landwatch. I hope I don't get sued for saying their name. Uh, where we would look at land, and one instance, because you always hear people say things like, extremely wealthy people they go like it's basically free real estate and you go like oh really and then they show you and it's like a hundred sixty thousand dollars and it's like well that's that's not free real estate and they're like no i do the math it's like fifty dollars an acre i was like that's cool but it's not fifty dollars an acre because yeah exactly (laughs) and they're like well you buy some of it and they start talking about credit and i'm like oh that's a it's a lot of money to borrow for a, a hope and a dream if I haven't already established the, the, the backing, the, the wealth, because if I fail and I'm just, I have a, a large patch of dirt that I have to sleep on. For real. No um, house. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah. We, we saw land in Northern California, right? And people are probably going to wonder, how does this relate to anything? Why are you guys just talking about land? You're reaching for straws. Well, that's what in defense of humanity does. Um, so, 
Like, we were looking at land in Northern California, which is very expensive land. They shoot a lot of movies there um, for, like, the Pacific, um, yeah, the Pacific Coast. And there was a patch of land. It was six acres, and it was $14,000. And we were like, oh, that's good. Let's contact them. Click on the link. Go to contact. And then within the 10 minutes that it had refreshed, uh, it was already sold. And I was like, ah, oh, that's what they mean by free real estate. Oh, man. And it's like, it's, it's not actually free, but whenever you see something you can't pass up, it's already too late. That's very interesting. Is that like, do you yeah. think that'll continue into the future? Is, does it have like a cap or is there always land that's that cheap? I'm curious. Well, well, that's the thing about land. So it's, it's quite literally controlled by the situation of the seller. So with a lot of things, you have supply demand where you can adjust um, or inflate prices, augment, uh, depending on how much there is. So you can stop producing, um, like, you can close off a, a diamond mine, the De Beers family, um, to limit the amount of diamonds that are coming out of their mines to increase the price, even though diamonds are one of the most plentiful mineral on the planet. If you have some of the only access points, then you can increase the price, just like water. Water is 75% of our um, surface. However, most of it is inaccessible to us. So some people are willing to pay for bottled water in order to have access to it. And this is the same thing with land. So if I'm struggling and I have no money, but I have 10,000 acres of land, I can say, hey, this is market value. If no one buys it in six months, but I owe money, then I'm willing to go pennies on the dollar in order to get it out. The guy um, who bought it has a great deal. The guy who sold it still at least has some money, even though it's not what they would have expected. It's better than nothing. So land is is kind of controlled by supply and demand if you get into cities. But in the sticks, like in Texas, El Paso, you can get like 40 acres. We once saw for like $12,000, but it's desert. Interesting. So. Unless, unless you have a ranch or unless you're growing like some, some desert grains like teff or amaranth, then it's, it's kind of hard to, um, Arizona. I'm, I'm quite familiar with Navajo County, Arizona, um, Holbrook County as well, where you can buy 40 acres for 8999, 8999, um, which is, it's, it's interesting. But then again, that's BLM. That's near BLM land the Bureau of Land Management, who tracks down wild mustangs and then catches them to control the population in quotes. And then they sell them um, to people who want to break the horses or sometimes meat factories if they can't train the horses in, in a short period of time. Uh, so we had the idea of just buying up a lot of land near BLM. And then whenever we saw the BLM corralling horses, we would like startle them onto our land and then shut the gates just so we can be like, well, it's on our property. But then you, we have to keep in mind that in the West, um, public, um, it's like eminent domain. So they could technically be like, ah, oh, we cede your land to the United States government. So it's also pretty dangerous about buying land really? in the U.S. I just got on the website yeah. and looking at yeah. <laughs> McMinnville land. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, on, yeah. you're on Land Watch? Yeah, yeah, it's a good resource. Uh, for real? It really is. Like, there aren't that many houses for sale there, but there is a there is land everywhere. Um, but since we're on the topic of land and yoga and connecting to the earth, I'd like to mention one of my favorite nations, Bhutan. Um, are you familiar I'm not, with Bhutan? I feel like maybe I've seen something with Anthony Bourdain where he was close to over there. But yes. I don't, I wouldn't yeah, say I yeah. know it, but man, I'm really drawn to that part of the world for sure. Absolutely. So, so Bhutan, they have in their constitution, I think it's like only 30%, if I'm not mistaken, um, someone can fact check me later. Only 30% of the land should be deforested ever. So they, they're maintaining their environmental efficacy it's a net carbon sink, so they absorb more carbon than they produce um, because of That's the forest. Amazing. They wear traditional clothing. 
Um, they have a democratic government. They have a king who wrote in the constitution that the royal family will give up um, power. And then a few years after writing the constitution, he abdicated and he said, you know what, why not do it now? So he like completely sped up the timeline for, for, um, for more rights for his people. Um, it's one of the happiest countries on record. Really? Let's go to Bhutan. <laughs> Book the tickets. That's, that's the thing. So here's why, here's why it's interesting about land. It's extremely hard for people with American citizenship to get into Bhutan for obvious reasons. Because you have a country that respects their land and respects their people and, um, and does not necessarily agree with climate destruction. And you have people who choose to go on vacation to countries so they can experience what the locals experience. You, you know, a lot of Americans go like, I want to go to Africa so I can see what it's like so I can know that my life yeah. is better when I go back home. Uh, so they, they, they make it extremely difficult for Americans to, uh, to, to get in. Um, additionally, it's impossible for us to buy land. Um, in Bhutan, which is not a problem. I would just like to live there. They do, I think, a 99-year lease of like property. So the, so the land always belongs to Bhutan. Not the government, but the land belongs to itself. Really? And you can petition the government for a 99-year stake on the piece that you would like to live. And people are like, but I want to own my land. This is a similar thing. But realistically, if you live longer than 99 years and you go back to the offices, the administration, you say, hey, I lived on this land longer than 99 years. I'm going to renew it. And then you get another 99 years. But if you die and then your children don't renew it, why should the land just be there claimed by someone who's no longer around? So it could be reused by someone else. That's very interesting. Which, in my opinion is a more efficient model like because i think of all the mansions and things you know you always hear about them on youtube and google like desert towns where there are buildings that are owned by people but the people have like long since passed Uh, but it's like well you technically can't have it because you have to buy it from the bank or whatever and it's like well no one's there why not just let me yeah live here it's like no one there is to profit except for the people who hold the deed after the original owner died, but you don't live in it. You don't plan on selling it because it looks run down. So why not just let someone else? Makes sense to it? me. Yeah. But yeah, Bhutan, Bhutan's a good place from an outside perspective. Who knows? Whenever we go there, we might find out that it's not yeah. what they say. I've got that Canadian citizenship, so maybe that'll help me out. Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Canada has a good uh, rapport nice. with Bhutan. So you got it. <laughs> I don't got it. <laughs> I have singular citizenship uh, now. So uh, I am. Yeah, I'm so lucky. I'm lucky I got duly. I didn't even really care about it. My mom made me do it. So it seems like it's working out well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I might have yeah, to run it. to Quebec. <laughs> Some someday, definitely in the in the distant future. Uh, so the so the Department of Defense, if the Department of Defense is listening, I'm 100% loyal to the United States of America. I do not wish to hold dual citizenship in any foreign nation that is an enemy of the state. Uh, <laughs> please, yeah, don't same come here. For me. I'm not a Canadian spy, you know. <laughs> um, but absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's why I think owning land, because like bunkers as well. If we want to get like wild with it, connecting coronavirus as well. Um, like bunkers usually have a 99 year lease, which makes sense. So you pay like $10,000 for the 99 year lease. And then you pay like $1,000 every year after that to, to maintain your bunker. And then if something happens in your bunker where the society collapses, well, there's no currency. So your 99 year lease is extended forever because no one's there to yeah. charge you money did you ever see that reminds me have you seen that show doomsday preppers i thought of that with this I have, whole I have. kind of environment and what's going on yeah yeah 
Atlas Atlas Survival Shelters, which is a company that makes some of the best survival shelters. We're not sponsored. I just watched the uh, the founder. I watch him on YouTube because he's a hilarious dude. Um, he says his sales have increased so much. There are millionaires in Italy ordering his his uh, storage shelters, which like underground bunkers, which are like um, like six thousand square feet. Like they're military hospitals. Like they're multi-story with elevators and stuff. And he goes like, you know, the shipping's gonna cost more than the bunker. And then they're like, oh, it's fine. We'll pay for it. And he's like, I really don't think this is a. I he says he doesn't feel comfortable taking their money, even though they have plenty of it, because it just seems so like illogical. To, yeah, to it's buy crazy. It. Amazing what people are doing fear. He's like, yeah, yeah, but he has now like some dealers in in like Europe as well, but he doesn't have like his massive units there. He has like you know like small units, maybe like three hundred square feet units. But you know, if you're a billionaire and you're scared of the end of the world, you're trying to ball <laughs> for out real, ball out at all levels. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to have like a, a grotto. I know rich people love that word, grottos and coves. You want I just don't pools. see the point. Like I feel if things were to get to that level, you really need to be mobile and like create new levels of society unless there's like a complete nuclear fallout or something. But in that case, I feel like you just buy yourself some time. You're still all going to die. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Going underground, unless you have like massive. So like um, in Australia, near the old opal mines, they have like people who live underground because the ground is so hard and so dry that it's best basically petrified. So they're like whole cities really? underground. Um, yeah. And as well, there are ancient cities in Turkey that are underground because these are perfect environments where it's not technically desert, but it's high desert where it rains a little bit, but it's so arid and dry that the ground is sturdy enough to establish tunnel systems and massive underground domes. So you can have like actual cities underground with ventilation. So if you do this, which is not the standard bunker, which are like 10 feet wide, just like extremely long. But if you can establish like an underground city, I feel those, those would work out. I would, because that doesn't make people claustrophobic. Because whenever I think of bunkers, I always think someone loses it, pulls out a gun, and then blows a hole in the side of the bunker. And then blows a hole in the side of the bunker. How you can do that? <laughs> I don't know. If if it, uh, I don't know. You you know these guys. A lot of guys who are doomsday preppers have like yeah, I can see that. I, mean, I can see them stuff. just honestly going crazy and hurting themselves before whatever down the world even does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because because what is it? What is it? Like I think of Tiger King whenever I think of some some of the some of the guys who would be doomsday preppers, and I'm like, oh yeah, Tiger King definitely wants to yeah. go to prison, has a bunker for sure. He's the exact. I haven't even seen it yet, but just from memes, I feel like I know him. Oh yeah, oh yeah, without a doubt. If he doesn't have a bunker, <laughs> then I know I don't need one. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So, I'm glad we started talking about land and then reintroduce coronavirus. Because now, I'm back on my thing about building an underground library. I've wanted to do this since, like, since I was, like, 12 years old. Build a, a library That's underground. Um, I think my, my cousin was watching, I think it was Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> That's so funny you just mentioned that. That's literally what came to my mind when you said underground library. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started watching the the film's librarian, the librarian. And I was like, oh, I can build an underground library. And then I started looking at how much construction costs. And I was like, okay, I got to buy an underground city. It's going to cost far more if I can build it myself. So is that where you're kind of going with this whole land thing? Is Is that why you're scoping out? Have one day an underground library on this land? absolutely absolutely because i know i'll die but i just want to like set up i don't know if you ever seen hg wells the time machine the remake i believe from, like, so 2001. i think yeah i think that was um, good but, it was yeah there was an yeah there was an yeah. underground library i think where they like were the some of the people like blue in it or like the bad guy was he blue 
Yeah, 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 yeah. The Morlocks, they were blue. Um, yeah, but there was like a, a library. It, it wasn't supposed to be underground. It was like the New York Library, and it got buried. And there was a hologram there who was there from before the cataclysm. And I want me to be like a hologram there and be like, whenever someone walks into the library, be like, hey, I'm dead. That's unreal. What do you need? But, like, you know, have a few Xenon processors, which cost, like, $9,000 each going, so I can store as much Yeah, so are you thinking more on the digital side or the... Oh, I want physical books as well, because I don't... Like, I can probably link up some batteries, solar panels, if the atmosphere doesn't, mm-hmm. like, get completely blocked out. Like, because if, if Yosemite goes off, or if, like, Yellowstone, if the caldera explodes... And it's nuclear winter, basically. So there's no sunlight coming through. But I could probably link up some batteries that'll last nice. 10,000 years. But if if my hologram doesn't stay around, like for some reason there it doesn't work or something burns out or something, we'll have physical copies. Nice, nice. Yeah, probably like a little nuclear okay. battery. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that'll, that'll probably work, like a nuclear reactor. Maybe you could do some type of, like, hidden system that allows your, you to get power in some type of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a way. Geothermal energy. I guess I could just build it somewhere that yeah. has geothermal vents. I know. I feel like your main problem would just be other humans coming in and messing it up rather than the environment or something. Oh, yeah. People, people love to do that. People just love to break things. If you think about, like, in college, people would steal signs and break yeah. windows for no reason. Hit mailboxes. Like, because there's nothing better to do. Let's make someone else's life bad. Yeah. I don't know. Bored. I feel there's, in every human, someone just wants to destroy something. I've felt this myself, just for fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like, um, I really like... Like yeah. digging holes <laughs> i don't i don't know why <laughs> i like i like digging holes and my grandmother used to get bad i like started building a pool and she goes like yo what are you doing i was like nothing now and she was like what are you gonna cover it up i was like nah i was gonna finish the pool but because you interrupted yeah. me, it's just the hole have you that reminds me with like land and yoga have you seen those youtube videos of this dude who builds like natural pools like or things natural I'm those yes videos. yeah yeah primitive i think, it? It. Yeah, I think that's the account survival yeah. is that him yeah yeah he's in i think he's in philippines if i'm not mistaken i heard him speaking yeah Tagalog. i have no wrong. idea where he's from but it's awesome and he has a brother uh, yeah i think so yeah yeah and that yeah yeah i know the ones they like underground pools and everything and people are like, that's so impressive. I can't do that. And I'm like, I don't think everyone realizes these guys recorded this over the course of like a month. They're just out there every single day for hours on end doing this. It looks it looks like they're doing it quickly, but oh, they're, yeah. they're I mean, putting in some hard work. That A lot of people wouldn't consider that fun in America. They can barely focus for one hour. Yes. Yeah, yeah. These guys have a plan. I guess this is what I do. I feel I might get a uh, a master's or a, a doctorate in engineering eventually because I look yeah. at things, I'm like, I want to build it. But then I don't have the tools, so then I have to go and make the tools and I start building something. I'm like, like in high school, I used to do things like I was, I, was, I tried to order um, like some radioactive material. The best thing I could get was like a few compasses that had radioactive ink. And then why are you trying like, to get radioactive material? I was trying to build like a, a fission engine, which has never been done. So I would have definitely just gotten cancer. <laughs> Bro, you're wild. But I, I had nothing better to do at high school. I got home, did my homework while I was at school. And then I just watched like Stargate and Star Trek. And I just had nothing to do. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of watching things that can't actually happen. Let's try something. I watched the astronaut farmer. I was convinced I was going to build that is awesome. um, a space shuttle. Hey man, barriers entry are getting lower for everything. I feel like there's a there's some type of company trying to help you in every aspect. So who knows? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I applied to SpaceX nice. last week. Well, let me know if you need a uh, resume Time help because I look at hundreds of resumes a day. Uh, I'm definitely yeah. gonna hit you up after this after this podcast. Oh yeah. Okay. So next, so we went from yoga, Isha Foundation, to coronavirus, then to IT, then to land. Who knows? I'm, we're going so I think this is a really cool one. I feel maybe, I don't know, some tracks are like environmentalism or the ocean. I just feel like the ocean is so left out. Mm-hmm. Like we oh. don't even know what's in there. Absolutely. I watched a Novo Amor video this morning, um, which was about the, like there was a, it was CGI, but it was like a whale. And then they got closer and they realized the whale was made of garbage. Really? And then I was like, wow. Because like the biggest thing to me is, yeah, the Pacific garbage patch, like all these patches, like in the Atlantic, Pacific, Indian are massive and they're a problem. But even if we got those all out, the microplastics are what's changing, producing estrogen, um, like chemicals in our ocean, which are destroying fish. Like parrotfish have to change gender in many cases to reproduce. So if parrotfish are all stuck female, then there are no more parrotfish. It's crazy how there's animals that can just change genders like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if like some of these fish, which are like, um, uh, but even worse, right. Then change, not being able to change gender. So you can't reproduce. We have to think parrotfish also, are coral eaters well corals are being bleached so they have nothing to eat so there's no point of them even worried about changing because they're going to starve before they wow. reach the it age seems like produce. honestly humans just ruin a lot of things like there wouldn't be environmentally there wouldn't be the world would be perfect if there's just no humans yet or still have like the most potential <laughs> realistically yes yes if we were not around the environment would be fine now there are there are instances right if humans ever evolve to a point to if if we're around long enough to to advance our technology, we could one day help restore a magnetosphere to a strength because you know um, um, solar mass ejections, corona mass ejections, um, where like solar wind comes out and whips our magnetosphere could potentially in the future rip off the atmosphere and kill everything. So if if we want to be stewards of the environment that we claim so much from many of our faiths, um, we would advance ourselves to a point where this massive corona mass ejection that's bound to happen is coming and we have the ability to stop it. To Do save you think it would here. be to the extent we need to develop our technology to really dip out and go somewhere else? Because I feel like this sun isn't forever. Like eventually burn out. Yeah, yeah, the sun's the sun's the sun. We have probably four and a half, five billion years left on the sun. Uh, we have the Earth has been around four and a half billion years as well. We have uh, been here for yeah. less than a. It's so interesting to think about. On the, yeah, yeah. So, so we we need not be concerned with the sun. That's the least of our worries. That's insane. If, if we make it five billion years, then. We are probably yeah, non-corporeal beings at that point. Yeah, because five billion years, I don't, because there has not been a single species. Well, obviously, we're constantly changing, um, but there's not been a single species on our planet that has lasted that long. Maybe archaea, some eubacteria, protists. Yeah, I I don't know, Sam. I, I like to think that humans will adapt our technology. I used to be big on organic technology, like graphene and like mm-hmm. even like computers that were alive, like made from like slime mold can navigate to the to the most nutrient dense regions. So if we could like connect to a system using like um, fungus and graphene and whatnot make organic computers that think like us but more efficiently then perhaps we could develop a technology because our technology is right now 
incompatible with space, incompatible with our own atmosphere, because most of our technology corrodes when contacted with water and our with oxygen, just in general, steel corrodes with oxygen, uh, aluminum decays with oxygen as well. Everything oxidizes that we use. Silica, um, our silica-based technology is not water tolerable. So we have to shield everything that goes underwater as well. So our technology is quite literally at odds with our own environment. Like Otherwise, I wouldn't have to worry about dropping my phone in the toilet. I'd be like, oh, oh, well, my phone's IP certified, so. But that's different. That's shielding as well. We had to force our technology. Yeah, to me, it's to be it's so crazy how we think we're so advanced. Yet, I mean, whatever, whatever you refer to the creation is like, just as so much attention has been given to like an ant as yourself. Like, it's incredible what's been made. Like, if we could replicate that, mm-hmm. eventually, mm-hmm. if we were able to do anything like that, like the possibilities are endless. Yeah, yeah, and because you already mentioned the ocean, I think of the ocean. I have no doubt. Like, I remember whenever I was a kid, I was watching the abyss, and then humans were like destroying the ocean, uh, as we're doing right now. And they, it was like 1997, so it was the time. And then, like, they started feeling seismic things, tsunamis happening. They're like, what's happening? And then they went down into the abyss and they met another species that were, um, that were living underwater in massive cities, massive city ships. And then they began to leave and they left earth. And then that was the end of the movie that they like flew up. And then one of the ships left and it's like the people in the film asked themselves, were those aliens? And then one of the other characters said, why do we assume that they're not from here? It's like they could have been down there for the longest time living in harmony. And then we started messing up the environment and they're like, ah, you know what? We're going to leave. We'll come back. They've finished themselves off. Yeah. So I I often wonder what's in the ocean because it's so much. Aren't there some very like funny statistics on how much we've actually explored of it? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? I remember a long time ago, I think it was... Yeah, I don't know, just something hilarious. Something, 5%. Because we can map it, map a lot of it with sonar, but actually what we know is down there. Because seeing a sonar yeah. blip could just be a floating pile of garbage. But actually knowing what's right there is wholly different. And we got to think, if there is um, more sentient species than whales and other cetaceans, and octopus because those guys are sentient but that's not really what we mean we we want to find something that's of equal or greater intelligence than us um then we we go down the we are able to evade each other so why do we make the assumption that we would be able to find them if they live underwater then they probably move with the currents as well so it's probably easy enough for them just to pack up, be like, ah, oh, humans are here. Let's go. We saw yeah. what they do to everything that they find that's different. Yeah. So that, that, is, that is interesting. That is interesting. interesting stuff. Like, I don't know, there's so many possibilities in the world. So little time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So exactly. why not make a podcast and talk about things yeah, that I other mean, people consider irrelevant? I feel like nothing's really irrelevant, but it's pretty fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So now we've explored the ocean a little bit. Yeah, Did of you course. The only place to go. <laughs> Indeed. So in, in question, right? Do you think we should be exploring the ocean more than being an astronaut? Because I, I know that my current career trajectory, what I'm planning on doing is becoming a, a, a pilot, um, then getting a, a STEM, um, a, an advanced STEM degree as well. 
and becoming an astronaut, do you think it would be a better plan for me to become a, a submarine pilot, so to speak, join the NOAA Corps, uh, National Oceanographic Aeronautical Association, and then go the other direction, go down. Well, I mean, I feel it's always instead of into whatever someone wants to do. Like, I don't think there's a direction, but to me, yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've explored much on Earth. May as well explore there. Just I feel it takes a lot less resources to see what's around here. But I mean, if you have a longing to go somewhere else, then we'll of course do that. But for me, yeah, if I wanted to do, if I was interested in that type of exploring, I'd just go into the ocean because we don't know what's happening. I mean, you feel like you can just observe it. You don't even need mm-hmm. to go in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like you just look at a leaf. You don't actually know anything about it. You don't even know how it's constructed. Yeah. Say nothing of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this this even brings us to my very first podcast that I did with Nehemiah Johnson um, about astrophy, the fear of looking outwardly. So people often say, I want to go and explore another country. I, I, I don't know. I want to go to the stars. But then whenever we have the opportunity to go somewhere interesting and new, we look at it with a sort of judgmental lens, so to speak, or um, hesitance. So astrophy is quite literally the the desire or the fear, really? depending on how you look at it, of the stars. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's the notion of looking out. And I think I might have aquafit. I want to go down, but I'm afraid that my capsule, my submarine, and you're not afraid of space. Implode while I'm down there, and exactly that's why it doesn't make any I sense. Mean, it yeah. does not make any sense at all. The odds of me dying in space are far yeah, higher. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, at least your ocean. body would still like. I don't know. You'd still be on Earth. I don't know why that's interesting to me, but I feel like since your body was created from the earth it's nice to have to go back i'd I'd die at home just floating in space yeah yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah for sure and then if anything if there is an advanced culture underwater they'd be like yo how did one of them get i feel like the pressure to that depth you kind of be crushed crushed yeah yeah i would i would be gone if if somehow my capsule, um, like, yeah, yeah, if water started rushing and it's over, if I left the pod, Very true. it would be over. Like, either way it goes, I'm not surviving. Because if I, if it started to, water started to rush in and somehow I could, like, release a ballast so that I floated all the way to the top. I would die um, from nitrification or like That's, yeah, nitrogen br- brutal. in the world's crazy, boiling. man. Yeah. Didn't yeah, people just like go, they didn't really know what was happening. So they just, that would just happen to them back in the day. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what is that exactly? Like yeah, when you come up too oh fast, my. like some type of pressure yeah, issue. I don't understand it very well. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like maintaining equilibrium. Uh, let me, let me think about it. Cause whenever you dive deeply, you're not supposed to hold your breath. Wait, 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 wait. This is, this is wrong. This is wrong. Okay. So whenever you dive deeply, you're supposed to have enough, yeah, enough oxygen okay. to keep your chest fully inflated. Right. Um, so that the pressure doesn't push all of the oxygen out of your air. So you're holding tightly with pressure. Whenever you're rising up, you're releasing the pressure so that your lungs don't. Because whenever you're coming up, the pressure is releasing and your lungs are already inflated. That so that would they be could hyperinflate and burst. And then decompression sickness is, um, I think it's like, it's it's like an embolism if that yeah yeah air air so air starts to move around more and then it gathers together as 
like air bubbles do on the surface of water. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you have a lot of bubbles on the top of water, like soap bubbles, yeah. that if they get close, they combine to make bigger ones. So these embolisms can get into your heart and then stop your heart from beating because there's there's no fluid there. So there's only air um, a little bit. Or it can go to your brain and then yeah, obviously cause brutal. problems with those capillaries. Yeah. So Definitely not. I'll, I'll pass on the bed. not a good way to go. But if you come up and they toss you in the hyperbaric chamber, they can help with the decompression sickness by um, increasing the okay. pressure. And so that's how they release. help you out? Yeah, yeah. That's for like, ex- like sailors, like Navy sailors who are like um, going down. Like if they're repairing, I don't know. Probably the only instance are like merchant marines who repair mm-hmm. the intercontinental lines, you know, the telecommunication lines. They probably have to use those tanks a lot. And then, if I'm not mistaken, there are some tank units that are halfway in the ocean, like like floating but connected to the bottom that are halfway between the depths and the surface so you can equalize a little bit and then get back in your suit and then return to the surface. Because, like, the, the, the depth gr- is too great to go all the way down in one go. Yeah, I mean, no one's an expert on anything, Not really. an expert yet, but... That's right. Well, yeah, man. I'm I mean, we, we've gone over so many things briefly. <laughs> Every single one you can go in for a whole another podcast is pretty crazy. That's true. That's, that, that might just be what we have to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, this we, is just we could the, definitely run it back. I'm all down. Topic session. Topic session with Sam. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to? Okay, let's take, it. let's take it somewhere. You got it. You're the lead. Yeah. I'm just the um, moderator. We can definitely run it back maybe another week. But um, I think I'm pretty much going to finish out here. I want to get some stuff in. Realize it's Mother's Day, so I should hit up the uh, the grandmas as well. I haven't done that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. it's been a pleasure, well, man. I definitely want to run it back, get cleaner. Um, my podcasting skills probably aren't great yet. A lot of verbal filler, a lot of thinking, but always trying to improve so we'll see mm-hmm. that's right that's right okay yeah we could definitely have you back on whenever you're ready yeah it was fun i mean on. we had an yeah. interesting spread of good. stuff i enjoyed it so like talking about a lot of stuff is really cool plus i mean i found a new great website Landwatch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right all right bro okay well have a nice yep. day sam 